Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, coming to you live from the Florida Space Coast, as I do each week. And thank you very much for joining us this evening. Very important topic for those of you who live north of Gainesville, Florida. I'll explain that in just a little while. Uh, what the topic tonight is Lyme disease. It's a very human disease and it's a very dog disease. We actually see it in very high frequency in dogs and I just want to talk about that a bit in a couple of minutes. Just want to remind everybody that this is uh, a call-in show and the number is toll-free. That number is one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. The live chat is also open for those of you who would like to contribute but are a little bit of the shy variety. Uh, the chat room is open on my show page directly from the profile. Show page is blogtalkradio.com front slash rwdvm blogtalkradio.com front slash rwdvm and of course. For our archive listeners, if you ever want to leave us a question to be included in a show that you're going to listen to at a later time, feel free to send me pre-show email questions at comments at web-dvm.net, comments at web-dvm.net. We have five of those questions tonight, and before we dive into Lyme disease, let's address one of those first. The, the first question is from Paula of San Bernardino, California, and this is a Lyme disease-related question. Is Lyme disease a real threat to our dog here in California? Good question. Of course, I don't practice in California. I've never practiced in California. So from a veterinary perspective, as far as my own hands-on experience, it's uh, not going to be very, very accurate. However, I did do a little research, and I went to the California Lyme Disease Association to get an accurate answer for you. And as it turns out, yes, Lyme disease is a real problem in California. Not quite as bad as uh, our east of the Mississippi states, certainly uh, where, especially the states where the disease was first reported. For example, Connecticut, uh, Lyme, Connecticut, that is actually where the disease got its name from, but we see it very prevalently in, in New York and New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, and actually it seems to be spreading as far as the influence of this disease, and we'll, again, get to that when we address the disease uh, directly in the main uh, talk tonight. However, um, back to your question, Paula, um, it is a real threat. In fact, uh, the information I got off the website was that the ticks that are responsible for transmitting the disease, the Izoti species of tick, uh, actually exists in all but two counties so far in the state of California. So every county minus two, uh, that species of tick has been seen, has been found, and been known to persist in the environment. And as far as the infected ticks, so ticks known to be carrying the disease, um, of the 58 counties in California, 42 of them have reported infective ticks. So the problem is out there. It's certainly something to worry about, and I would talk to your veterinarian uh, about the best way to prevent it. 
Um, again, I don't think it's as prevalent as other places, but certainly something not to take lightly because it's a pretty serious disease. So that was our first email question uh, sent by Paula of San Bernardino, California. We got four more of those, and we'll address the rest of those in just a little while. But first, let's let's talk about Lyme disease because spring is is upon us, and uh, of course here in Florida, the seasons don't matter quite as much. Although there is season change, and you know people shouldn't think that we don't experience some change in seasons. In fact, right now is the bragging weather. As we approach spring, you guys above, uh, you know, in the northern latitudes are starting to experience spring and, and the uh, gradual warming. We're experiencing near perfect weather. You know, low low to mid 80s, low humidity. It's just beautiful here in Florida. I know. I'm sorry to rub that in. I just. I just I just like to get my digs in every now and then about how amazing our weather is. But uh, for the rest of you who have been uh, dealing with winter all season long and you're looking forward to a nice thaw out of that spring brings, and of course, I used to live in New Jersey most of my life. I actually uh, lived in northern latitudes, and uh, oh, God, I used to love spring. The, the, the trees start blooming again, the, the grass gets fuller, life starts blooming around you, the air smells nice. It's just a fantastic time. Um, but, you know, spring with spring comes, you know, some things that are, are less pleasant, especially given that it is an active period for many pests, including the pesky blood-sucking tick. Now, ticks are the carrier for Lyme borreliosis, commonly known as Lyme disease. This illness transmitted by tick-borne bacteria affects dogs, horses, and humans. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that horses can get Lyme disease, but, um, you know, horses are a little bit outside the scope of, of this show, but I will mention it, horses can get Lyme disease. Uh, reports reflect an increase of human-diagnosed Lyme disease in various parts of uh, North America, which is certainly a concern. And, and what we're wondering, are we seeing the same phenomena happening with dogs? Is it increasing as well? So Lyme disease is named after the town of Lyme, Connecticut, uh, which took on epidemic proportions in the mid-1970s with regard to Lyme disease. And it's been diagnosed in people since 1975 and dogs since 1984. So although the disease is more prevalent on the eastern coastline, it actually occurs and is reported in all 50 states. Lyme disease affects animals differently. Some don't show any signs at all, while others manifest symptoms like uh, lethargy, slows them down a lot. They're just generally depressed, joint pain, limping. Uh, the limping is often nonspecific, so they'll limp on one leg one day, they'll limp on another leg another day. Sometimes they're just generally stiff and not moving well. The lymph nodes will, act, will often uh, swell, and lots of times there's a fever. And the fevers can be so high that you can actually you know, feel it. You can touch the dog and just feel that they're really hot. Lyme disease uh, symptoms typically don't show up in dogs, though, uh, for about two to five months after infection. So, uh, you know, a lot of folks come in, I, I found it, tick on my dog, I'm, I'm worried there could be Lyme disease. Well, how long ago did you find the tick? Uh, it was a week ago. Well, we won't know for about two to, two to five months if, if you know, that particular tick is going to give your dog Lyme disease. So, um, you know, we, ha we, we have to realize that that incubation period is two to five months. Um, Lyme disease affects uh, as far as the the Center for Disease Control is, is concerned, um, it, Lyme disease is most prevalent uh, is the most prevalent tick-borne disease among humans and dogs in the United States, uh, quite quite profoundly, uh, with more than 28 
1,921 new human cases in 48 states reported in 2008. That's astounding. That's a lot of Lyme disease. So both people and dogs can be infected with Lyme disease, but the disease can only be transmitted by a tick. This is important to realize because it is not contagious among individuals and cannot be cross-transmitted from humans to dog or vice versa, nor can it go from human to human or dog to dog. And all types of, of dogs are at risk. Uh, with this illness. So, you know, we're not talking about a breed, uh, breed predilection. Um, it is thought that many dogs go untested for tick-borne diseases, so the actual number of infected dogs may actually be uh, much higher than, than what confirmed cases reflect. The recent increase of Lyme disease is partially attributed to the spread of uh, tick-infected deer, mice, and even birds bringing infected tick, quote-unquote, passengers uh, into the yard. And because dogs spend more time outside, uh, the disease may be more prevalent in dogs actually than in humans. So while documented Lyme disease cases are rising, um, there, there definitely is some good news. Uh, the first thing is that uh, only 1% of all tick bites result in Lyme disease, and if caught early, uh, is quite amenable to treatment with antibiotics. Um, but I think both human and uh, human doctors and veterinarians can agree that prevention really is the best strategy. And, and certainly within the scope of this show, we're going to talk about uh, the, the best modalities to prevent Lyme disease in your pet. So, of course, uh, let's start with medications. Um, using monthly topical tick control products like Frontline, Advantix, Revolution, Preventic, Preventic collars, that is, um, you know, the easy to use in topical medications cause feeding disruption and the ticks fall off typically before the 48 hour infection period. Year round tick produ uh, prevention is recommended for dogs in high in infestation areas. So, you know, let's say I used to practice in Long Island and, you know, that was obviously a temperate climate where it would get quite cold in the winter and one would expect, um, a big kill off of insects, and certainly there is. However, the, I used to live and practice on the North Shore, which was a Lyme disease hotbed. I was, I was uh, diagnosing probably between four and six new new cases of Lyme disease a month. Is astounding how much Lyme disease we saw, and it's because the tick populations are so so bad um, that the deer tick and the the deer and the mice that that carry those deer ticks, a lot of population there. So there was just a, a huge uh, sentinel of uh, ticks and as a result saw a ton of the disease. Um, and, and just because you get that winter kill off, I was always recommending, especially for the, the, the pockets on the North Shore where I saw the most Lyme disease coming out of, I would say, listen, do your front line all year long. You know, don't, don't just do it in the, the, the May through October months when you see the most ticks because ticks are hardy, resilient little creatures. And I, I recall Lots of times in Long Island, um, you know, you, you'd sometimes have an unusually warm day where it hit the 50s in the middle of winter, and lo and behold, there'd be dogs loaded with ticks that quickly. So these things are, are resilient. They're just kind of hanging in wait. They're, they're maybe in, a, in some kind of a dormant state uh, where they can sort of overwinter, and the minute it warms up, boy, they're they're there to, to jump right on and start feeding. So um, if you're, you're in a tick-prone area, Certainly, 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 uh, year-round prevention. And, of course, if you're in a subtropical climate like uh, Florida, Georgia, um, even the Carolinas, 
you know, it is really best to just do your heart, your your year-round um, flea and tick preventive. Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, not always realize that not every flea preventive gets ticks. Uh, so you, you want to be sure you have one that is going to prevent uh, ticks as well. So my favorite two products are Frontline and Advantix. I did mention Revolution because it is reported um, to have anti-tick activity. I just never found it to be really good. Preventic collars actually are quite good, though. So, you know, that, that that's also a good solution. Um, Here's another good thing you can do. Brush your dog regularly during tick season. Uh, daily grooming helps keep them safe because early early detection of those ticks is, is really key. Uh, a lot of folks don't realize that those ticks actually have to sit on the dog and feed on the dog uh, for actually 48 to 72 hours in order to transmit the organism. So if you're you know being very vigilant about uh, tick prevention but also combing out the dog regularly and, and, and checking the dog on a regular basis, that is a huge, huge, huge uh, way to prevent Lyme disease. So um, you want to consult with your veterinarian uh, for your area's best preventive treatment. And avoid, please, please, please avoid over-the-counter medications because many are not safe for all pets, and a lot of them, folks, believe me when I tell you, are just lousy. Um, so talk to your vet. Get, get a veterinarian's perspective as to what uh, he or she really feels your dog should be on and what he or she feels works best because, you know, there's so many products out there that are just useless and, and, and not just useless. Some of them can actually make your pet sick. So let's get into vaccines a little bit. Um, and now vaccines obviously are available for Lyme disease, but here's here's the um, – this is an important thing about vaccines. Even in Long Island, I didn't vaccinate every pet for Lyme disease. Um, so you want to talk to your veterinarian because because what what happens when you're a vet is you really start to get a feel for areas um, in terms of hotbeds of, of, of tick populations. You get a feel for um, where uh, certain areas are, are going to be, uh, you know, could put the pet at, at very high risk for Lyme disease. And, you know, even in New York, if people lived south of this road called 25A, I would say in most cases, you know, you could probably just do your flea and tick preventive, do the daily grooming. You know, would you necessarily want to go vaccine? I, I typically didn't didn't really recommend the vaccine. However, people north of 25A, uh, so that would be, you know, on the North Shore, uh, north of this road, you know, heading towards the beach, tons of ticks. So most of those folks, I would say, listen, even with your front line, your, your dog's at huge risk. I would probably do the vaccine in, in your dog. So, you know, let's talk about Florida for a minute. I mean, we we really have not seen significant numbers of cases of Lyme disease south of uh, Gainesville, which is, you know, far north of here. So I actually don't vaccinate any of my patients for Lyme disease. I do have the Lyme vaccine, though, because some of my patients are snowbirds. We call them snowbirds when they, they overwinter down here in Florida but spend the spring and summers up north. I have a lot of patients like that. Um, I have others that will go camping in northern Florida and southern Georgia where uh, we see plenty of Lyme disease. So, again, as a veterinarian, I'm I'm sort of cherry-picking who I'm going to give the vaccine to. It's not that I have anything against the vaccine. It's a, uh, Most of these Lyme vaccines are quite safe. I use the Muriel product, which hasn't given me any significant problems. Um, I know there's there's sort of this 
urban legend out there among the 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 dog forums that uh there's the the Lyme vaccine is so dangerous and highly reactionary and uh don't don't do it and don't do it and don't do it and I don't know where that comes from um it's true that not all vaccines are created equal but I have not had a problem with my particular vaccine it's been quite safe so um I certainly wouldn't be afraid of it and uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't put much uh, credence in, in, in those alarmist uh, opinions out there on the dog forums. Um, so keep in mind that April that, went, that just passed was uh, Prevent Lyme Disease in Dogs Month. Now I had some other pressing stories to put out before I talked about this one, so we kind of missed that. But you know that that that's where a lot of uh, really good information comes out. So you know when April comes around, that's a good time to Google Prevent Lyme Disease. Um, there's still a lot of information out there. A lot of the uh, the websites are updated their information, and that's where I got a lot of this information for this particular story. So, so Lyme disease. Let's talk about exactly what what uh, what the clinical syndrome is. You know, I kind of touched on it a little bit, but but let's talk about what it can lead to if it's not treated. So I mentioned the big lymph nodes. So sometimes they're so big that you could actually see them swollen in the neck. We talked about fever. We talked about inappetence. We talked about, oh, depression and, you know, just general malaise. Um, so those are the early signs. And it's important you catch those early, uh, especially if you live in a Lyme disease slash deer tick prone area, because as far as treating Lyme disease, our best success comes from catching it early. So when we're 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 seeing uh the dog showing these signs, we want to get them to the vet immediately uh because it, it, if it's only been going on for a day or two, uh lots of times I often only need to hospitalize those patients for a day or two and uh just give them some supportive care, get them started on the antibiotics and they're eating by the next day. Uh however, there's other cases where it's gone on for too long, the people, the pet owners have uh, not either not caught the signs or sort of dismissed them and bring the dog in like on death's door and that's when the kidneys begin to fail and all kinds of other problems uh bone marrow arrests where the 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 bone marrow uh is no longer effectively making white blood cells that that are an integral component to the immune system to help fight infection and not making red blood cells which are an integral blood component that actually carries oxygen from the lungs to the tissues to oxygen tissues. So some really dire consequences uh, can, can arise from ignoring the signs and not um, alerting the veterinarian and not having the, the dog seen by the veterinarian. So just be very vigilant and, and pay attention to uh, the, the important ways that we can prevent Lyme disease, good tick prevention uh, during the tick prone month, combing the dog regularly, daily basis if if you can fit it into your schedule, um, regular combing, grooming, uh, again, tick prevention is the very best thing you can do. And if your vet recommends it, the Lyme vaccine, if if it's an endemic problem where you live. Um, remember all that and, and look out for the signs. If the dog is showing any of those signs, get them to a vet immediately. And if you do all this stuff, you really decrease dramatically, dramatically decrease the probability that your dog can die from Lyme disease. So um, very good information there. Um, let's move on to uh, some more email questions here. And uh, before I move on, I just want to mention again that uh, our live call-in number is one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. 
1-877-878-1435. And the live chat is also open at my show page, blogtalkradio.com, front slash RWDVM. Please feel free to comment, ask me any questions you like. No one's on the queue right now, so we're just going to move on with our email questions that were sent in. But um, feel free to interrupt me because I do like getting live comments and questions. Uh, Jennifer from Clifton, New Jersey, uh, she sent this question in. My dog has an odor coming from his back end. It is not after he poops. It's all the time. And while the odor is not pleasant, in fact, it is gross, it really does not ever smell like poop. What could this be? Well, uh, a, a, a bad odor from from the bottom, <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem surprising, right? Of course, it's going to be a stinky area. That's where they poop from. But she's saying that it doesn't smell like poop. However, it is a very unpleasant odor. I'd have to say probably, uh, Jennifer, your dog's anal glands are full. The anal glands live in the rectal walls, and they secrete this stuff that collects in the anal sacs. And as the dog defecates, the sacs are supposed to be uh, naturally expressed. The pressure of the feces presses on the sacs and out oozes this material, this fluid that coats the feces and gives it a distinct scent. So the anal glands are a scent organ. Um, In about one in five dogs, they don't empty completely and they remain partially full uh, where they can provide this malodorous situation that you're describing uh, and can even lead to impactions where uh, they, the stuff gets stuck in there and they could, it really, the pressure really builds up um, and down the road can even lead to infections and abscesses. So um, my recommendation would be to make an appointment with your vet and have those suckers squeezed out uh, to avoid problems and also to make your living environment more pleasant because that would stand to probably make your dog's bottom a lot less stinky. Thank you for your question, Jennifer. Next question is from Barbara of Hazlitt, New Jersey. Another Jersey. Looks like we're getting popular in Jersey. Her question is as follows. My cat has a great appetite, but he is losing weight. I feed him more and he gladly eats it, but still continues to lose weight. His stools are normal and he seems otherwise fine. I thought it may be a parasite, but I have his stool checked by the vet every year and he is always negative. He was just at the vet only a month ago, and he is an indoor cat only anyway. He's getting so thin, I'm starting to get concerned. Please help. All right. So this is kind of a classic presentation, Barbara, and uh, I think there's a fairly um, easy answer here. Um, When we look at a kitty cat that is losing weight but has a normal to increased appetite, continues to lose weight, and everything else seems in place and everything else seems normal, my first thought, and you didn't mention the age of your kitty cat, so, you know, it kind of constrains me a little bit as far as um, offering you information as far as what I think is going on, but I will tell you this. Uh, two diseases immediately come to mind. Um, one is called hyperthyroidism, and this is a fairly common disease in, in senior cats, senior to geriatric age cats, where the thyroid actually develops these benign tumors uh, where we're not going to see cancer from them, but it basically mimics thyroid tissue. And as a result, the adrenal glands with these masses on them secrete too much thyroid hormone. So it puts these patients in, in sort of a, a, a level of metabolic overload. Um, the thyroid uh, is a very important metabolic mediator. It's there to 
mediate and regulate the rate of metabolic reactions in the body. And when there's not enough of it, that's bad. And when there's too much of it, that's bad. In this case, we're talking about too much of it. Um, one of the common signs you see early on is the kitty cat becomes ravenous. They can't get enough food. Um, I remember when my mother's cat, uh, his name was Stinky. <laughs> he started off as my college cat. And uh, the the RA found out that I had a kitten and I had to get rid of him. So he ended up being my mom's cat. <laughs> um, his name was Stinky, but I named him Stinky. That wasn't her fault. Anyway, Stinky... Um, at, just a few years ago, was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism. One of the reasons we that prompted us to test him is he had jumped up on the counter, and my mom had just made a stack of pancakes, and we see Stinky walking away with a pancake flopping in his mouth. And I just sat there thinking to myself, since when does this cat like pancakes? <laughs> so um, lo and behold, he had hyperthyroidism. So that's a uh, very treatable disease, so certainly it's, it's worth testing for. Let's talk about possibility number two. Uh, that would be diabetes. Uh, diabetes is actually fairly common in cats also, another endocrine disease. And basically diabetes is a syndrome where the pancreas cannot make enough insulin uh, or the body's receptors for insulin, the body's cellular receptors for insulin, uh, don't don't react to uh they, they don't take up the insulin or they don't react to it. They become resistant. Um, either way, the bottom line is insulin is no longer affecting the patient's sugar metabolism. And rather than absorb the dietary uh, blood sugar, it remains in the bloodstream. So one of the things that happens is without sugar, without carbohydrate, the patient is denied calories and they, they are not absorbing any dietary sugar. Um, the high blood sugar, of course, causes other problems. It can cause vascular issues, it can cause uh, neuropathies, it can cause um, urinary tract infections and other infections, and so this this is a big problem, um, but one of the early things is you will see them just losing weight while having this ravenous appetite. They can't get enough food because uh, they're, they're sort of in this starvation mode. Um, most of these cats will also drink excessive amounts of water, and Barbara didn't mention that one way or the other just talked about appetite, but if there's excessive water intake, then, then, then certainly diabetes is going to be top on my list. So a very simple wellness blood test can test for uh, both hyperthyroidism, diabetes, and a whole slew of other problems. So my advice to you, Barbara, is to get your kitty into the vet ASAP, and let's get a wellness blood profile and see about treating those diseases. Uh, both are quite treatable. I don't want to get into the treatment modalities. That's a discussion you can have with your veterinarian. Um, Next one, next question here, uh, email question sent in by Shannon of Baltimore, Maryland. This is a very interesting one. I have a Dalmatian puppy that most of the time seems fine, playful, energetic, great appetite, etc. But after he eats, he gets weird, wobbly, and disoriented looking. He stays this way for about 30 to 45 minutes and perks up and goes on about his day. But just about 20 minutes after... Almost every meal, the same thing happens again. Is there something wrong with the food? We feed Science Diet Large Breed Puppy. Could it be poisoned or contaminated? Um, very, very good good, good, uh, good post here because this is a problem. What I think is going on is I think this puppy could have what's known as a portosystemic shunt. Let me just explain that in lay terminology. Um, when the puppy is a fetus in the mommy's uterus, it's not the puppy's own liver that filtrates the blood that, that uh, acts as a blood filter, uh, a, a detox organ, as it does in the um, 
out of the uterus puppy and, and adult dog. Um, the, the, the liver's really not doing much. The, the fetal liver is ba- being bypassed. It's mommy's liver that is uh, detoxifying that blood. So uh, as a result, um, the blood has to be shunted around the fetal liver. So it, none of the blood supply is going through that developing liver. Um, and that shunt is a, an open vessel that shortly uh, before birth or shortly after birth will actually close and then the puppy's blood supply will start being uh, diverted back to that liver and then the puppy's liver will kick in to detoxify the blood and do the other things that the liver does. That is the normal puppy. In some of these cases uh, where we see loopiness following a meal, um, it, it, it could be that that shunt has remained open, and we call that a portosystemic shunt. So basically what's happening with these puppies is rather than have the blood going to the liver to be detoxified, it's actually going around the liver. Um, And as a result, what we can see is after a meal, when metabolic uh, waste products are starting to accumulate in the bloodstream, namely ammonia, um, the, the dog will often get loopy, disoriented, depressed, sometimes ataxic. We call that ataxic when they sort of have this wobbly, drunken gait. They're walking really disorientedly like a drunken sailor. Some of these dogs will have it so bad that they seizure. Um, and and the, the big problem with these dogs is often they will not grow at a normal rate, so we'll see them sort of remain stunted in their growth. Lots of them are thin. And uh, as they get older, the problem seems to get worse. This is a repairable problem. Um, it is amenable to uh, a fairly simple surgical procedure, so um, certainly worth investigating. I think um, I would ha- make an appointment with a veterinarian as soon as possible because if there is a shunt, you need to know it uh, because measures one way or the other, both dietary and or surgical measures, if the dog is old enough at this point, need to be need to be taken before things start to get out of hand. Um, science diet large breed puppy is a, a good food, and um, it has a good reputation, and, and through the years it seemed to be a good diet for puppies. So I, I, I would say you, the food you have chosen is fine. Could it be poisoned or contaminated? Folks, that's always a possibility. There has been no recalls that I'm aware of. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily assume that. Um, so I would go ahead and, and maybe call the science diet company to make sure there hasn't been any recalls or uh, there's any pending recalls or that they've had any uh, buddy calling with problems like you're describing with your dog. But to me, typically contaminated, uh, problematic food won't just make them loopy. It'll actually cause outright sickness. So if there's like a, a, a mold contamination or fungal contamination, uh, or in the case of a few years back when, when cats were going into kidney failure, you know, it's going to make them sick. Uh, when we have contaminated or 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 bad food, rather than have this sort of poor doing just around mealtime, um, I'm more concerned that this could be a portosystemic shunt. Very good question. Uh, so Shannon, get your get your dog to the vet as soon as possible. Uh, Greg of Florida. <laughs> uh, Greg from Florida did not leave a uh, city where where he's from, but but from Florida could be a local listener, perhaps not, um, wrote this following question. 
My dog got in a fight with a squirrel and got some minor cuts and abrasions. He's up to date on his rabies, but a vet assistant friend of mine told me that in cases with wild animal bites, rabies vaccines need to be boosted. Is this true? Are squirrels even animals that commonly carry rabies? All good questions. Um, Well, first off, Greg, um, whenever there's a case of a wild animal biting your dog, you want to have that dog seen by a veterinarian regardless. Um, First off, I'm I'm very pleased to to hear that your dog is up to date on rabies, so the risk of rabies is very low. And to answer your last question there, no, squirrels are not a – a big rabies carrier. Uh, we get rabies reports over the facts all the time. Um, and since you live in Florida, uh, we can consider you sort of a uh, a local situation where um, in the state of Florida, most commonly we're seeing the problem caused by raccoons. So raccoon bites I'm always worried about. Um, but as far as squirrel specifically is concerned, squirrels um, are not really, I don't think I've, I've been living in Florida since 2004. I don't think I've seen uh, one report of a rabies carrying squirrel. So at the same time, any mammalian species is capable of getting rabies, so you don't want to take that lightly. But one of the reasons I want any dog bitten by a wild animal to be seen by a veterinarian um, is because they have such a high tendency to get infected. Um, you're talking about a lot of rancid bacteria that live in the mouths of these wild animals. They don't get dentistries. All right? Keep in mind, squirrels, raccoons, rats, they're not going to get their teeth cleaned. Their their mouths are dirty places, and um, some of these infections can be hideous. Um, I've seen them let go so long that uh, some of them could even go septic. Septic means that an infection goes bloodborne. So, so these, these animals can get really sick. So you want to have them seen by the vet regardless. But as far as rabies prophylaxis protocol, every state is different. So um, since you are, a, you are a Florida listener, I can tell you the state of Florida as long as the pet is up to date on uh, the rabies vaccine, uh, they, that's all they care about. Uh, they don't they don't require you to do anything further. Um, and, and I've had a lot of experience with this because obviously there's a lot of raccoons around and a lot of bites happen. Dogs tangle with the wrong creatures all the time, day in, day out. So you're pretty much covered. Um, and, and you'd mentioned that the, your dog is up to date on the rabies vaccine, so you're good to go. Um, However, now, for the rest of you that are not from Florida, uh, I used to work in New York uh, for the first three years of my career, and their their prophylaxis was different. Um, Even if the dog was up to date on rabies, or and this goes for cats too, uh, they still want that rabies vaccine boosted within five days of the bite. Now, of course, this was New York back in, uh, let's see, I was there from 2001 to uh, 2004, late 2004. So, um, I don't know if the laws are still the same there, so don't 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 take that for my New York listeners. Don't take that uh, necessarily at face value because I don't know if the laws have changed. When I worked there, that was the case. They wanted a rabies vaccine within five days of the bite. Um, as far as other states, every state has their own regulations, folks. So you want to just be sure when there is a bite from a wild animal, especially if it is a rabies-prone carrying animal like bats or like raccoons. Um, you want to be sure that you go ahead and call your animal control or animal services. If you're not sure who that governing body is, call your local police station. They can tell you, or call your veterinarian. Uh, they can they can you know put you on to uh, animal services. Here it's called animal enforcement, um, and they'll basically they they have all of the laws. They know exactly what you want you to what what uh, what they want you to do, 
and they will steer you in the right direction to make sure you're not breaking the law and to make sure you're not putting the public and other animals in health. So uh, rabies is really important because, you know, there is that human health potential. We can get rabies as just as easily as any other uh, mammal can get rabies. Uh, we are, that's one of the things that states tend to be really, uh, really, really uptight about. Uh, we have a chat comment here, Rottweilers of today. Hello, Rottweilers. Glad to uh, see you stopped in. Rottweilers of Today is a show on Blog Talk Radio. I, I was actually on her program, her lovely program, uh, I believe a week ago. I think it was a week ago. I think it was like a week and a half ago. Um, you guys might want to check that out. But she's also a regular contributor here. Um, and her comment is this, California vaccination every three years only boosted of suspicious of rabbit animal bite, foxes, raccoons, daytime, et cetera. Possums, no and they rarely test positive for rabies. Okay, so that's good. For California listeners, that's some really good information right there. Um, and, and you can see very clearly um, there, every state is going to have their own distinct and unique protocols. So rather than presume, call your veterinarian or call your local uh, enforcement. Uh, you know, even the police will, will – of course, they're not going to know the answers to that, but they can steer you to the right place. Um, as of right now, we don't have anybody further on the queue – and we don't have any more chat comments, so it looks like we're going to go ahead and wrap things up a little early today, a um, little quiet this evening, but uh, please take everything I told you about Lyme disease very seriously. Um, it is a very real disease. It is very problematic in dogs. We're seeing it on the rise in both people and in dogs, and uh, please take to heart all of the uh, information I gave you about that so you can prevent it in your dog as well. Um, ladies and gentlemen, have a very good evening. Thank you for your time and attention. Thank you very much, um, my archive listeners who submit always really some pretty awesome questions tonight. It was Paula, Shannon, Jennifer, Barbara, and Greg. You have a great evening, and we will talk to you next week. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the Internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.